Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 62 for Monday, November 7th, 2011. I am Bill Wadman. And I'm Dan Gottesman. Uh, and here we are today, and Dan is still sick. A little bit. Uh, getting What's over going it, on? You, you got the cold? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, sure. We'll call it a cold. Because that's, you know, I guess a sore throat is a uh, related, you know, family member of the cold. Just right? for uh, my own thing, did you get a, a flu shot? No. Or do you normally get the flu shot? I do not. Okay. Is there a reason why? Uh, I'm lazy. Okay. So it's not like some personal feeling about it. You just never get around to it. Yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't, honestly, I, I don't really, uh, I don't seem to get terribly sick that often. Uh, I, you know, I, I get maybe seasonal allergies from time to time where, and they usually be, they're usually concurrent with the bigger changes in the temperature. So like, you know, like the, on that first day of fall where it gets really cold, uh, or that first day of spring where it gets way hotter than it was, you know, last week. Right. That's the sort of thing that'll, that'll trip me up a little bit. But, uh, no, I, I, you know, I'll get like one or two sore throats or a cold or so every year or so, but that's pretty much it. It is. Yeah. The whole thing about the weather changing and people getting colds. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can understand from the allergy point of view. I don't quite understand the epidemiology of why that would happen just because the temperature changes, you know, I mean, it happens to me too. I just don't don't quite understand. Well, maybe we should go to medical school and find out. All right. We'll be back in six years. Yep. See uh, ya. <laughs> Off to medical school. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, you and I played with uh, your battery-powered thingy. Oh, that's right. My Paul C. Buff Vagabond Mini Lithium Battery Pack. Yeah. And I was very impressed by it. Mm. Especially as an owner of a very expensive Profoto Acute B600. Yes. A fine piece of technology in its own right. Supposedly, yes. <laughs> um, so what I'm thinking is that maybe I just have a bum battery. That's possible. You know? Yeah, that sure. I That maybe it was sitting on a shelf for a long time before I got it, or, you know, I, I'm doing something terribly wrong when charging it. Although the manual says to keep it plugged in when it's not and the charger's smart enough to trickle charge once it's done. Uh-huh. But I pulled it out last night to take a picture of Heather on chairs. I don't know if you've seen this picture. I did see that picture. That was a good one. That was silly, yeah. And uh, I used it, and four pops in, half power. What? It was down to yellow. No. That's exactly my point. No. Something's wrong. It's broke. Right. Get that sorted. So the batteries for these things, I don't know if you've ever looked into it. They're probably, what, like $600 or something absurd like that? They're $280. Okay. Okay, now here's the thing. The batteries are actually just a casing around a regular battery. <laughs> I've seen that before. <clears throat> so the regular batteries go yep. for $15. <laughs> like the entire battery? Yes. Like the battery itself is 15 bucks online. But, the, I mean, that's without the, the, the casing that will right. fit into your Profoto unit. So you're, yes. you're, don't tell me you're, you're considering... Busting open the Profoto casing and replacing it with your own well, $15. Busting, right, but busting involves four Torx screws. Oh, really? It's not glued together? No. Oh, that doesn't seem that unreasonable. Right. Okay, so that's interesting fact number one. Mm-hmm. Interesting fact number two is that they've just replaced the Profoto Acute B600. Oh? With a new version. Huh. Which uses a lithium-ion battery. Huh, you don't say. Yes, and... <laughs> Wait for it. Yeah. The batteries it's... are back and forward compatible to each other. Huh. Well, so, that's cool. Yeah. So the question is whether I can get a lithium ion battery mm-hmm. that is the same size and specs that would have a higher power, you know, a higher amp hours or whatever they are. Because apparently these are five amp hours. Mm hmm. And I'm pretty sure yours is 20. Really? Yeah. From what I've been told. Uh, I don't know if you have yours handy. I have the specs handy. Um, so I thought that's what I read on a... On a it says here it's here. 
eight. Okay, eight. Okay, eight point eight. Okay, so yours is fifty percent more or seventy percent more than mine. It's one hundred and thirty watt hours. Right. But okay. eight point eight amp hours. <clears throat> okay, so mine is five amp hours. Apparently, there are similar batteries like this that are ten amp hours or something. I'm sure, and they're like um, three times bigger too. Well, yeah, but actually, it's apparently the lithium ones are are similar size, but same thing. So, I, point is, is that I just looked this up before we got on the horn, mm-hmm. and uh, it's interesting. It's got potential. Yeah, dude. Yeah, because I'm, I'm the totally... idea of spending three hundred dollars for. If I'm going to spend $300, I like the light of this thing. Yeah, yeah dude, and, that, and it's, I a, like it's it being a fine and, light. Yeah. I think my only critique of that entire unit is the fact that you don't have the option of running it uh, hardwired. You can't, I mean, you can't just plug it into the wall yeah. and roll, you know, AC style. Well, the funny thing, though, is that apparently you you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you if you were using the charger that comes with it, which by the way, if you need a replacement one, is like two hundred and something dollars. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's because it has an LED on it, dude, that flashes. God, Come on, man. Pro photo. <laughs> they got you by the balls. Yeah. Um, so it that the one that comes with it is like a half amp charger or something like that, right? Uh huh. That one trickle charges, and apparently, if you're shooting indoors and you're only shooting at like quarter power. And you have it plugged in, and you're not like shooting really fast. Will keep up with itself. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that there's the te- the seven B, the higher end Pro Photo, mm-hmm. uh, has a charger which has the same power thing at the end, like same connector. Mm-hmm. And that one is like a two amp or a one amp or whatever. And that one apparently uh, can keep up with shooting, so you can actually use it as a tethered thing. Sweet. So, so I've actually considered looking into that. So anyway, the point is, is that I have not gone and bought the Paul Buff thing, even though it's much more versatile, arguably. Yeah, you can use it to like charge your laptop, even in the field. Well, you know, that's what I was thinking. Have you actually tried that? Um, like for a minute, I haven't like tried doing it all day long. You know, you know what I'm going to do though. I'd love to know how much juice that takes. You know, I am about to take um, a little bit of a road trip coming up next week, and I will do that i will bring my vagabond with me and and i'll see how long it powers my computer in the in the car that would be handy yeah we'll see what happens um anyway just kind of cool stuff a lot of people apparently like that uh ellen chrome ranger i was just working with one of those yesterday and how was it was fine. I think my only gripe about it is well, I have a couple gripes about the Ellen Chrome stuff in general. I'm not a particularly it's ugly. big fan of the yeah of the inter, uh, interface and design. It's a little. It's it's just it's not quite as brain dead simple as Profoto. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, there's 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 something to be said for a knob and a switch. You know, I really like being able to just go click 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 and I'm done. You know, I yeah. know. I can look at it from a glance, you know, from far away, and I can see what it's doing. The uh, Ellen Chrome stuff. It's all LEDs, right? It's, it's all, all LEDs buttons. and membrane controls, like an old '80s synthesizer. And yeah. uh, <laughs> some of the, co- I mean, some of the buttons glow in the dark. They have that sort of, you know, whatever lumina- luminescent uh, coating on them, which is cute. But um, uh, yeah, like I said, and they, you know, they have their own little iconography. So you need once you understand what the little icons mean, then it's then it's pretty clear. But they're not like. Again, they're not brain dead obvious, <clears throat> and uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, the, the problem I had yesterday was that the modeling light, and this is understandable. When it's on battery power, the modeling light only gives you ten or fifteen seconds of, of time, and then it automatically shuts off. Well, so, does it does it model right after a pop? Like you no, pop, it, it, it turns it, on, and then it's, it, it stays on the whole time. So if, let's you can turn the modeling on and then do four or five pops. You know, if you can, depending right. on the power setting that you're using. But then after that preset, you know, whatever, we'll say it's 15 second, uh, 15 second time, it just, it, it turns off. Oh, so the modeling light is sort of a, uh, a temporary button that you push, like turn it on and then it automatically starts counting down. Exactly. And if you're, say, shooting, uh, you know, a rock band and you only have five minutes of their time and <laughs> you're, shooting, you're shooting in the dark and yeah. you need the modeling light to focus, <laughs> Um, you basically need to have someone on that button 
you know, hitting it every 15 seconds so that you can, you know, continue blasting through your shots. Plus, it's weird to have to do that. Yeah. So it'd be cool if you could either, you know, uh, adjust the timer or simply turn it on or off, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I, I'm coming to a certain weird feeling about lighting in general because the, the acute apparently will only last about 45 minutes with its modeling light on. That's that's plenty, though, if you think about it. Well, yeah, but then you're popping, so you're lowering that. Like, if you just turned it on, it would last for 45 minutes without using it as a light. Right. So your shoot has to be done in 20 minutes for it to, you know what I mean? Yeah, for but that's to, if you want the modeling light on all the time. See, what yeah. I'm, I'm guessing the acute doesn't do what the Ellen does. No, it's, it's an on-off switch. Right, so you can turn it on when you need it, and you turn it off when you don't. Yeah. Uh, I, I rarely use it uh, just because it's not that powerful anyway. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's, and, it's it's good for like when you're in a really dark situation and you yep. need a little help focusing. Which okay, which brings me to another thing. Mm. I'm with with these new cameras and their ability to shoot at 24,000. Are we getting to the point where you'd be better off buying a battery powered light panel? <laughs> um, you know what I mean? You mean like those LED panels? Yeah. I don't know. Like. You know, Randy has one of those little, it's like a, I don't know. I, I, I know it's different than if you're using, you know, a big giant Octobox like we use that Paul Hemmings guy. But but if you have some handheld six by eight little light panel yep. um, and you're shooting kind of close up portraits and you or your assistant can just hold it where it needs to go to have nice light on the face. Yep. It's kind of a neat option. Yeah. I mean, and it's constant and, you know. And the batteries last a long time, and it's true. It's a different look, though. I mean, oh, it is a different look, but it's an interesting look. I mean, I, I've I've been seeing a lot of people um, post. I mean, th- this concept has been around for a while. You know, you know what an HMI is, right? Yep. Um, <clears throat> for those who do not know, uh, I can't remember what HMI actually stands for right now. I think that's actually like a, a brand name, like you know, like Xerox or Kleenex. Is it? I think so. Um, but, uh, when, when someone says HMI, uh, hydrogarum medium arc iodide light or not, maybe it's just what it's called. Anyway, it's basically, uh, a fancy term for specialized fluorescent lighting that doesn't flicker and has the ability to be dimmed. Um, normal in, you know, industrial household fluorescent lights, like when you go into a bathroom or hospital or a school or whatever, they're usually just on or off, and if you look at them, you can sometimes on bulbs that are failing or in lights that are they're not you know at, at, up to spec, you can even see weird flicker um, and you know weird like strobing effects that are obviously not not conducive to quality photography lighting and headache inducing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but folks in the uh, in the film industry have basically uh, designed these really neat. Um, power packs, they're called ballast units, I think. Uh, I don't know what the, pro- I, you know, the active word is ballast. I don't, I don't know what, what else you call it. But that's, every fluorescent light has a, has ballast. Uh, it's that it's that kind of boxy looking thing that you could think, uh, it could look at as a battery uh, that gets, uh, it's usually just right underneath where the bulbs go in those fixtures. Um, <clears throat> and, and they're really popular in, in video um, and film just because they're, relatively inexpensive uh you can get a lot of them uh in you know they're not that big so they don't take up a ton of room on set don't and, put off a lot of heat yeah and they don't, they're not hot and they uh they're really light so you can have a bunch of them so if you're if you're you know running mobile it's it's not that big of a deal. i mean they're they're a really great light source um and so what some photographers are finding now uh one of the other really interesting things that's sort of a side effect of that i think is that we're seeing uh colored different color temperature fluorescent light bulbs now and i and i'm you even seeing these i don't know if you've paid attention to this bill but I'm, I'm even seeing that stuff in the those little compact fluorescent light bulbs the ones that are you know replacing household screw-in type yep you know iridescent you've seen like daylight balanced ones oh yeah you can you can go out online right now and buy like 56k six you know six thousand sixty two yeah. you know like whatever whatever color temperature you want, those are available now. And, you know, 10 years ago, that wasn't so much the case. Yeah. I've got so, uh, a lamp on my desk that does its daylight balanced, like fluorescent thing. Nice. But I just use it to like look at prints and that stuff. So yeah, I have yeah. a constant sure. color. Sure, sure. Um, so 
what I'm what I was going to say is now what people are finding is they can go to Home Depot and they can get these higher quality bulbs and they it, I guess if you if you shoot at the right shutter speed like at, I think at a 60th of a second or lower um any of the flicker issues that you might run into don't really matter and you can get a lot of light you know for not a lot of money um by using just household fluorescent fixtures and i've i've seen a handful of you know do it yourself style articles online uh of people who we are do doing those strip just lights that. and that kind of stuff exactly yep and that's kind of cool no that is totally cool and you know i've considered doing that some of that stuff myself my my issue would just be storing the gear between you know it's kind of like oh yeah i could go spend 100 bucks and build these lights yeah, but then, then i got somewhere to put them <laughs> yeah uh, it's true it's it's man lighting is a weird thing i'm i'm leaning as time goes on i'm leaning more and more towards uh available light yeah like i i i i was in a mode where i was a very i was an available light shooter for a long time when possible uh, and then I moved away from that and got a lot more into lighting. Every, I think everybody starts out that way. Sure. Though. And now I'm going back. <laughs> nice for the for the simplicity, uh, and and it's it's hard though because trying to get color and skin tones right mm-hmm. when there's a bunch of different light sources and and that kind of thing. I I, uh, I took a picture of my friend Hannah after dinner the other night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it went up on the blog and somebody just like somebody tweeted me and said you know what did you use for what's the lighting setup and I was like the lighting setup I was yeah. like it, yeah, it was uh, it was 7th Avenue's fl- yeah yeah light. fluorescent lights underneath a bodega awning you know? yeah exactly uh, and she's like there's no way that that was I'm like it that's what it was you know because <laughs> uh, you can uh, lighting light is just light there's 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 amplitude uh-huh. and then there's how big and soft it is mm-hmm and then and it, what color it is. Yes, right. But, you know, I think the biggest problem with working with fluorescence, <coughs> cheap cheap fluorescence and tungsten and stuff is the fact that their spectrums aren't full. Okay. You know, so they're they're peaky. So, if you take a picture in under like your average tungsten light and you take one under your ideal daylight kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you and you color correct the tungsten to daylight say a color chart that color chart's not going to look identical between the two because certain colors are less represented in the light that's coming out of the light bulb than they are in sunlight it's true uh and this is actually a, a bigger problem than you would think because a lot of the stuff that looks good if you take a tungsten picture of somebody and correct it so that the color is actually correct it usually looks pretty terrible hey bill what do you mean by tungsten isn't that a chemical like isn't that a mineral that comes out of the ground Yes, but what I'm referring to is your standard incandescent light bulb, Edison style. You know, Edison oh. came up with the whole sockets for light bulbs, too. That doesn't surprise me. And so, like, we're still today using the Edison standard socket 110 years later well, or whatever. What about the regular, you know, NEMA 5 power socket, you know? Uh, I think that was them, too, wasn't it? Yeah. Or, in America. Awesome. But then, you know, they... That's true. Went, they went and changed it everywhere else in the world. They sure did. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know what the point of this is, other than to say, <laughs> lighting is cool. I'm going to get more into available lighting or constant, continuous lighting. Nice. Uh, on Amazon, mm-hmm. they have some lights, some little light panels that are like seventy bucks for a dimmable LED, you know, six by something inch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it runs on like four AA batteries. Yeah, those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, you can get kits of those too. I've seen kits like yeah. you know where you buy the board and you buy the bulbs and you solder it together yourself and off you here's, go. Here's here's one for forty two bucks. And I bet you if you go on eBay, you could find them even cheaper and whatever. Well, there's a there's a company called Light Panel. I think yes, there that, is. They make these really nice. They're like expensive. Yeah, but they're really awesome um, because in addition to being dimmable, they are mm-hmm. also um, tunable. You can you can tune them. I think they have like a, a twelve hundred K color range. So okay. you can, you can tune it to the room. So you can say, oh, okay, it's too yellow or too blue, and you can. There's a big fader on the or a knob on the back. You know, there's a brightness knob and then a, a color knob, and that's kind of that's kind of awesome. It is uh, stuff's pretty cool. And then yeah, a lot of these ones they have like a little, basically little filters you can put up in front. So you can put a 
like a gel or something yeah, like that? Yeah, essentially like a gel. These like like little orange filter it can go in front and switch it to a Yeah, for, of a for the ones that, thing. that don't have the adjustable. You know, it's for true. a lot of things, the trick is just to get enough light to fill in some shadows and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, you know, uh, like a, like what you would do with a reflector. Yeah, yeah. It's cool stuff. Yeah, the light panels one, dude, it's not that expensive. The, the one I'm talking about is like 1500 bucks. Okay, I'm not going to spend $1,500 on a single light. I'm just saying. It's not like it's five grand. <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, if I'm just going to play with it, I'll spend 100 bucks. Yeah, of course. Um, so, last week, I went to a talk uh-huh. about platinum printing. Oh, yeah? Like um, silver metal hydride, whatever? Yeah, but, but platinum's a whole other thing, because you can actually just do it at your house. Silver gelatin? So, for those of you who aren't... You, you worked in a dark room a little bit, Dan. For like a second. Okay. Uh, for those who don't know how it worked before digital... <laughs> yeah. Tell us, take, Uncle Bill. Take your negative into the dark room. Uh-huh. You stick it in what was called an enlarger, which uh-huh. basically was a lamp shining through the uh, negative, through a lens, and it, it blows it up to, say, 8x10 or wherever you're going to actually print. So just ma- it takes my little negative and magnifies it. Yep, blows it up. Like, like, like a, like like a, a slide projector. projector. Gotcha. Exactly. Uh, usually vertically aiming downward. Gotcha. Towards a flat surface. Gotcha. Uh, you put the paper on there, you expose it for X amount of seconds, you take that piece of photographic paper, which has silver and stuff in it, so you have to do this all in the dark, uh, and you put it into the developer... Uh, which takes away the silver from certain places and leaves them in others and, you know, whatever the thing is. Yeah, it's a uh, chemical reaction. Exactly. Then you take it out and you put it in uh, your fixer, or your stop bath, rather, which, which is water which gets rid of the developer. And, and it smells it in, awesome. Yeah, and, <laughs> and then you put it in fixer, which makes sure it doesn't uh, fade quickly. Mm-hmm. That and also you, smells pretty awesome. Yeah, good stuff. This stuff is, like, really good for the environment. Oh, my God. It's great. And if you can get into your hands and fingernails, man. Yeah. Man, you're, 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 you're looking at having a good time when you're 80 years old with cancer. Oh, yeah. It's uh, the truth. And then you put it all in water to at clean the it. end to, to, to wash it off, right? And there, there's that's how printing works. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very short version. I mm-hmm. know there are a billion. <laughs> that, that was the 30-second version. No, I like it. I think you nailed okay. it. Well done. Uh, so... There are other ways to print, however. Back in the day, yeah. people didn't enlarge prints because their pictures coming out of their camera were 4x5 or 8x10 or 11x14. Or, or or and they did what are called contact prints. So imagine the same situation except using the negative and blowing it up. The negative is just sitting on top of the paper. Sounds awesome. And you're exposing it. Okay, that's what's called a contact print. And why, why is that? Is there something good or bad? Why would I want to do that? Is that Well, better? you're not enlarging it at all, so the quality is going to be better. Oh, ah, so it's like a one-to-one copy is what you're saying. Exactly. Amazing. Uh, contact printing is, is, if you see a good contact print of a large negative, it's scary. It's true. I mean, and you, if anyone here listening uh, has taken, like, took a class in photography in college, and remembers that that first time in the darkroom, the, the very first thing you do before you even set your negative into the enlarger is you do a, what's called a contact sheet. And then that's where you take your, your negatives and you, line, you cut them up into little, what, five, five image, five, five frame strips or so? Uh, five fits on, yes. Yeah, and then you line them all up neatly on an eight and a half, sorry, an eight by ten piece of paper. And sometimes they even make little mounts for them so that you can do it cleanly with like a glass, you know, holder. And you get this one-to-one copy, and, and the contact sheets are always sharper and, and crispy looking. Sure. Way more than the actual prints are. Because when you're blowing up the image, you're also blowing up all the grain and all the mistakes and all of the out-of-focusness. Yeah, you, you lose you lose some, uh, some detail. Right. And there are, of course, limits to how big you can blow up certain size negatives, which is why people used to shoot really big pieces of film, like large format, medium format, is because... To get it up to the size you want it, you have to blow it up less to do that. Um, so th- that's all fine, and silver printing is still around, and people do it, and they use all different kinds of uh, developers and different chemicals, and all it's, these people. What I've what I learned the other night is that people who are really into this stuff uh-huh. talk about it as if it's more alchemy than science. Does that make sense? <laughs> 
Well, I guess so. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? They they talk about it as if there's magic involved. They're trying to sensationalize it a little bit more. Yeah, and it's like, oh, when I use this developer with this wash, with this paper... I get X, and it's so amazing. It's magic. Exactly. It's it's so much better than anything in the... And sometimes it's kind of like, no, it's just... It's science, guys. Don't try to turn this into something that has romance in it just because <laughs> it's an analog process. But it's, for them, that's what it is. No, no, no. And there is, but, but it's science. Like, <laughs> okay, so I go to this talk, yeah. and, the, and the guy was very nice and very... Uh, you know, he was very personable and he gave a good talk. Um, but I don't know. There was something about he, the way he was talking about platinum printing, platinum printing, which I'll get into in a second is fascinating because it's contact printing. You could theoretically do it at your house, uh, without having a serious dark room. Hmm. And the, the quality of the pictures you get out of it, the, the, they're very deep. They have a very large dynamic range, and there's a lot of information in the shadows. They don't block up. So they're they're very cool, and they're in some ways very um, – they're special looking. They okay. really are. They look different. Okay. They kind of have like a little sepia tone to them, and, and they're cool. And he was sitting up there talking about it and how it's very unpredictable for reasons I'll explain in a second, and that – you know, he could print the same exact thing the same exact way three times and get very different results. This is what he says. And I'm kind of like, well, if you were doing it exactly the same, you wouldn't be getting different results. <laughs> like, then something is changing if you're right. getting different results, you right. know? Right. Um, but it, but it, it's but called these, science. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but the, but these people were like, oh, it's this, you know, I didn't, I didn't pray to the god Ares and therefore right. the second print came out too bright. It's like, no, it came out too bright because you changed something. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's time or chemicals or something. It's true. So here's the quick rundown of how platinum printing works. You have a bunch of chemicals and eyedroppers. Uh-huh. And you have a recipe. So uh-huh. it's X drops of this, 12 drops of that, four drops of this. Right. And you get in a little test tube and you pour it out on a certain kind of paper, which are actually just like uncoated regular papers from what I understand, like, like a, like a matte, like a really high end matte paper, like the kind of stuff that you buy from special paper companies. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Then you take like a, one of those glass rods and you, you kind of squeegee it across the paper back and forth and back and forth. So it kind of sets in. Huh. And you don't even have to cover the entire paper. You're just cover, covering the part of the paper that's going to be exposed. If you know what I mean. What, wouldn't you be exposing the whole paper? Well, if, if you, could, you could have, say, an 11 by 14 piece of paper, but only have an 8 by 10 negative. And then so the negative would be like inset in the paper. You know, like it wouldn't be taken up the whole thing. Um, and so you, you you put it on the paper, you go back and forth, you and then you take a paintbrush, like a like the watercolor paintbrushes that that are super super fine, yeah, like the wide ones, uh, and you and you try to get it even across the whole thing. Sounds like no a lot streaks, of work to no me. brush strokes, no whatever. Right. Then you dry it with a hairdryer or uh-huh. let it sit for forever, but uh-huh. you can dry it with a hairdryer. What about a fan? I have a fan. I'm sure you could use a fan. Okay. Uh, he used a hairdryer. Mm-hmm. And then you take the negative, stick it on top. Now, one one quick thing. Even when it's dry, it kind of looks like you peed on the piece of paper. Uh-oh. Like it, whoops. <laughs> Somebody had accident. Uh, you know what I'm saying, though? That, like, the paper kind of turns, like, yellowish around where, where, where the chemicals hit it. Gotcha. So... You take you take your negative when it's dry, and you put the negative on top of the dried piece of paper, and you kind of sandwich it between a couple of pieces of glass. You basically put it in a frame. You know, you like stick it flat down on a piece of glass, upside down. So it's it's glass negative paper, right? Okay. And then there's like this little box, which is just this contraption to keep it all flat. But essentially, it's kind of like when you have one of those frames that you put the back in, and then there's a little. Sl- um, slide things that on on the edges that you kind of get into a groove you know what i'm talking about so like <coughs> excuse me um i'm having a hard time visualizing uh like um little um little like metal things just to keep it pushed tight 
you know, like it's they're all along the edge of the insert, and then you slide them into the side, a little slot in the side of the frame. Edge. Oh, like the, the little spring clip type, that of deal. kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Now I got you. Now th- this one has a bigger thing that is more like a, a big like butterfly mechanism that just is rotates from the middle and locks into the sides. But essentially, it's the same thing. I'm, I'm sure if you did it yourself, it would still work fine. Because in the old days, people used to do this like on you know on the roof. <laughs> now the cool thing about this is that. It use it. It's it's the platinum and palladium gets exposed to ultraviolet light. Okay. So regular like tungsten light. If you're in your kitchen, you have like some light on around. You know, some like fairly dim light from the other room, so you can see what you're doing. That's fine because there's not a lot of ultraviolet in it, and it's not going to expose the paper. Gotcha. Okay. So then you take this sandwich and you put it inside this box, which is essentially just a bunch of little strip ultraviolet lights, like fluorescent lights, uh-huh. but ultraviolet ones that have n- no ultraviolet filters. Where do you get those? Uh, I'm guessing you could probably buy them online, okay. but they don't seem to be that expensive. Okay. I can't imagine that they'd be that expensive. And you expose it for five minutes. So literally five minutes under these ultraviolet lights, which, you know, a lot of people actually do this in sunlight. Hmm. And you have to do a little more experimenting to get the timing right in sunlight, but it would work fine. It's the same thing. Okay. Um, And then you take it out, and once you pull it all apart, the paper actually looks like it has an imprint of the picture already. Like, it's got a little bit of like, oh, I can almost see the negative in there, because, you know, from what the, the sun, the lights did. Take that, put it in this developer, and like instantly, boom, it turns into this beautiful platinum print. Huh. Yeah, and then but you just instantly, have to after after like how how long does that whole process take? <laughs> the whole print thing probably yeah. ten <clears throat> minutes, fifteen minutes. It's not that bad. I don't know. It's, from from what you described, it sounds like a lot. Of well, work. I'm trying to explain it step by step. That still it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, well, it it's analog printing. It takes it's it takes longer than hitting Command P. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> uh, and then you you know you run it through washes to fix it, but but that's about it. So you could reasonably do it at your house without having a dark room that is completely black and whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, the the box to do the exposing in, some guy sells them for $1,000. Huh. And literally, Dan, it is a box with some lights in it. Nice. Sounds and like I'm, a great I, I think deal. you and I are in the wrong business. Yeah, man. We should if be this selling dude is selling these for 1000 bucks, let's make some. For sure. Literally, you and I in an afternoon going to home depot could put this together i love it let's go we'll we'll, we'll get a car and everything it'll be great okay here's the downside Uh uh-oh platinum is expensive oh bum 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 uh you you have to buy this platinum in liquid the solution see now now you got me thinking about dungeons and dragons and deep space nine that's the thing right that that's exactly what it feels like What about gold press latinum I feel, I feel like I'm playing Bard's Tale when Bard, I'm talking to this guy. Bard's Tale. Okay, that, that, I'll give you that. You never played Bard's no, Tale? No, no. Yeah, but you, I had two other perfectly good references set up, and you cho- chose another one, is all I'm saying. I could have chosen Wizardry. <sighs> sure, Wizardry. But actually, it was all gold pieces in Wizardry. Yeah, and you're talking about computer games, man. I'm talking about pop culture, television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Platinum, Palladium, is these things are very expensive. So the guy who was teaching the class... Uh, said, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I got a really good deal last year, so I bought $1,100 worth of this stuff. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I guess if you buy it in bulk, it's right. cheaper. Here's the thing, though. Each print yeah. is about $8 worth of platinum. Crazy. And it might take you four or five of them to, to get, get one right. that you like. <laughs> of course. Awesome. Well, yeah. But that, that's, but, you know, that that's the, the charm, man. That's what people love about film. No, it is. I just like I, I wanted to try doing this just because this process seemed kind of simple. Uh huh. And and here's the really cool thing. Okay. Nowadays, people aren't actually using negatives out of cameras. They're printing negatives on their printers. How do you do that, Bill? Take a black and white picture. Uh huh. Invert it. Uh huh. And then print it on like a piece of acetate. So like on an overhead projector. Paper. So, okay, so Glass, you're saying I have plastic. to get that, like, like overhead projector piece of plastic, like, yes. uh, gotcha, like in school. Run that, right, run that through your printer, 
uh, and then you basically print on the transparency and then use that as your negative. Hmm. Um, which is okay. So the reason I bring this all Wait, up. Wait, you use an inkjet for that? Yeah. Hmm. Kind of neat, right? Yeah. Not, I mean, yeah, but uh, I, I would imagine you're sacrificing a ton of sharpness by doing it that way. Well, remember, though, it's a contact print, and your inkjet printer can easily th- do 300 DPI. Yeah, I suppose. I'm just uh, now you're rem- reminding me of the actual old school days back in the Photostat and Lino, you know, um, Linotronic, you know, actual plate printing, you know, right. and, you know, they're what, what I'm talking about are these giant um, machines that were essentially, you know, by, made by Agfa and, and Lino type, I guess. Um, and they would literally do exactly what you're talking about, but they'd be like razor sharp, like super sharp, yes. like, like the equivalent of a laser printer. Yes. No, true. Yeah. And I, you know, I guess you could use a laser printer too. You just probably wouldn't get as smooth a gray gradients. Yeah. That's the problem with laser printers is, I mean, I guess actually, if you probably got your hands on one of those older, I, I'm sure someone makes, still makes high quality black and white laser printers that can handle transparencies. Um, yeah, but th- I think they're really good at, like, block color, but not good at, like, gradients. Actually, you know what? Now I just remembered. I had a client. This is years ago, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and this woman, her area of specialty was presentations. She would be, she was, like, this PowerPoint queen of this company. And she would make all of the presentations that, like, the CEOs and the vice presidents and whomever would be, you know, using to pitch like all of their other clients and stuff like that. You know. So, uh, and because she was so good at it and so well liked, she got all of this nice top end gear and she found, uh, on her own. And I, I, you know, was able to help her out with this, that the, the best printer for making overhead projectable transparency, you know, images yeah. were those wax based printers. Um, they die sub, not die sub. Uh, it's actually literally it's wax. Um, uh, Tektronics was the company that I think had the most success oh, with those. Oh yeah, yeah, Remember yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. Like the, the, the the head was actually like these weird like sticks of of solid stuff. Yeah, yeah. The ink was actual like the little crayons, yeah. and, and they came in funny little shapes so that you couldn't stick the wrong color in the wrong slot. Uh, and that that technology has been around since the early nineties. Uh, I remember one of the very first color printers that I ever saw at an ad agency had one of those. Um, and the, you know, Tektronics, the, the flag that they were waving was like, look, you can print on anything. You can print on burlap. You can print on tinfoil. You can print on a paper towel. Sure. You know, you don't, we don't care. And sure enough, when you print this, when you use this, this printer, um, on a, on a piece of plastic, because it's waxed, melted onto plastic, it's really solid. It really holds, um, really well so that when you're putting a light behind it, it doesn't bleed through and it's nice and sharp. I would imagine you could probably do that, you know, just with black and white. Uh, sure. And I think those have gotten a lot cheaper now, too, because they're no, nobody. They still make them? I think so. I'm going to look it up right now. All right. Let's put it in the thing. Although Xerox bought Tektronix years ago, so now it would be Xerox. Right. Uh, well, the, the nice thing about being able to print these digital negatives is yeah. that you can do all the things you do in Photoshop to the image and then still print a platinum print of it. Right. Which is kind of cool. Here we go. Uh, you I'm, find them? I'm going to put the a Wikipedia page on. It's called Solid Ink Printing. Okay. Wow, this takes me way back. Yeah, the Phaser 8500. I remember that thing. Those are <laughs> cool. The downside of those printers, as you might imagine, is that they needed a uh, considerable amount of time, like 10 or 15 minutes, to, to warm, warm up. up. Exactly. They have heating elements. Yeah, well, it's melting wax and spitting it onto a piece of paper, so yeah. it needs a minute to get that ready. You found it? Yeah, I'm working on it. Continue talking. Okay, so the nice thing is is that you can do all the things you do in Photoshop and then still get this negative that you can print platinum. Right. The argument by people who are into platinum, not only that it looks really beautiful and that uh, it's, it's, it's a quality print, is that because it's handmade, it's more valuable. Okay. I mean, how, do you feel, how do you feel about that contention? Well, let's put break it down. I'll tell you exactly how I feel. Uh, it's it's basic economics right there. I mean, you det- when you're trying to determine how how much something is worth, there's several basic elements to that formula, and one of them is how much time went into it, 
right? Yeah. So you, you have to factor in how much uh, the, the time of the person who made it uh, is worth, and then mm-hmm. you add into that equation how much the materials used are worth, right? So like, yep. like you said, if there's $12 worth of platinum in there, then that should get factored in. And then if you value your time at 50 bucks an hour and it took you 10 hours, then that's 500 bucks, you know? Right. And then um, <clears throat> the, the remain, and then, then that's, those are the basics uh, of, of the value equation. But then there's other, there's another, an additional layer of sort of uh, mystique, I guess you could call it, which is the supply and demand, which is, you know, if there's, if this thing that you, that you make is one of a kind and it's the only one, then it's probably worth more than if there were 10 of them sitting around. So, you know, you can you can sort of, and, and, you know, and if, and if all of a sudden gets really popular, it could become way more valuable than if everybody has one already or nobody cares. Yeah. So that's that's my take on how things are valued. Right. But you also are leaving out of the equation whether people value time and, you know, whether, whether they actually think that it's the, that you're saying the seller thinks that it's worth that much because it took that much time and materials. I'm just talking about the just a basic principle of, of value in general. I, I'm not talking specifically to what you just mentioned. I'm just okay. putting that out there as as a starting point. OK, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that it's interesting just because something is easy, easier or less time consuming. It's it's worth less is an interesting thing to me. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of arguments you can make. Or, or that, that that it took you longer, therefore it's worth more. You know, that, that me as a photographer, I as a photographer, would sell more prints if I was hand-making them with the platinum method. You know See, what I mean? Like I know what you mean, but I, I can't agree with that. Yeah, I don't know either. Because here's um, the thing, man. I mean, let's look at look the concept of, the basic concept of, uh, you know, of uh, manufacturing, where... You put a ton of time, energy, money, um, investment, if you will, into the ability to make this thing, right? So the, yep. the final product costs five bucks, right? But you're spending five thousand bucks on this apparatus, on the on the ability to make those. Yes, right? you know. So the 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 trick is, can you sell? You know, can you sell enough of those things at five bucks to 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 pay for the thing? And you know, obviously. If you're doing it right, <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, and then, and you know, and then once you've once you've sold, <clears throat> once you've broken even, um, you know, anything you sell after that is uh, is profit. No, absolutely. And yeah. and it's funny. The guy said, you know, to get set up to do this, you need to invest approximately twenty five hundred dollars. Okay. I'm like, you got to spend twenty five hundred dollars to make a single print, and most of it's really just the the actual platinum and that's the other crazy thing prices of heavy metals or precious metals go up and down sure so it might have cost five hundred dollars for the same amount a couple of years ago but because gold is going crazy i'm sure platinum's going crazy uh and so like the the cost of your materials could double or triple depending upon the economy sure that's kind of crazy yeah well, uh can you be, can i print in gold bill i want to print gold yeah well it's just kind of neat though the idea that uh yeah the, the, it's literally like this platinum in in liquid and it's only like four drops of platinum but each one is like a couple bucks per drop <laughs> it's kind of nuts it is it is anyway the, the reason i brought this all up initially is not just cuz platinum printing is interesting uh-huh and alternate processes in general are interesting to me I although i don't actually do them i think they're kind of neat uh-huh because uh, it kind of takes you back to the way things used to be done. Because platinum printing has been around for 150 years. Mm. Uh, the the reason I brought it up is that the guy who was teaching us is a master platinum printer. Self uh, self proclaimed. I guess so. Okay. I don't know that there's any necess- necessarily any sort of accreditation involved. Are you calling him a master, or is he calling him a master? Uh, when they when they when they introduced him, they introduced him as a master platinum printer okay uh but when when the print that we were working on came out and it came out okay i said okay well if it came out too dark or too light let's say Mm -hmm. i said would you would you go in and change go back and reprint the negative 
because you know to make it more contrasty or less contrasty or whatever mm-hmm. would you uh change the chemicals in some way or is it the 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 exposure time like what you know what do you change and he says well uh uh, uh you know it could be any of those things and i was like well Okay. Maybe he's what trying would, to protect his uh, intellectual property or something. Maybe, but it's kind of like, well, wh- what would you, you know, like, I want to know what's going on th- in through this guy's head. And what I want him to say right. would be, well, if it's too contrasty, there are two things you can change. You can go in and add less platinum or less whatever to the mix, mm-hmm. and that will change this. Or... Uh, you can go back and change the exposure, but make sure change go back and change the negative. But make sure you don't do X, Y, Z. You know, like actual physical, practical things. Mm-hmm. But the kinds of answers that I got were very. Uh, they, they, it felt like not like he was protecting himself, but that he just really didn't know. And that kind of goes back to the uh, the whole idea that this is not a science. Okay. You know, that that, that that to him, it was alchemy and not science. And so there was some sort of like just up in the air kind of thing going on. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like like that the, the, the chance was involved. I don't know. I just feel like if, if somebody is calling themselves a master of something, I want them to really know what's going on. And this goes across the board. Like, yeah, but he okay. didn't call himself a master. Well, I'm assuming that like he told them that he was a master platinum printer. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Well, the same thing goes for like the the guys at the back store, right? The so-called geniuses, well, right? They, they don't. They didn't choose that title for themselves. <laughs> I know they didn't choose that title for themselves. But if you go and you have a a an appointment with one of them, I mean, you know, having worked there, some of them probably know what they're doing a lot more than others. There's probably some like, oh yeah, Joe knows what he's doing. Tina is really good. Adam, eh, he's kind of whatever. It's kind of like going to the salesman at Adorama. You know, like some of them really know their stuff. Uh-huh. And other ones, it's just like, no, I'm looking for Kodak film. They're like, how do you spell Kodak? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. But what's your point, Bill? I guess my point is, is that how do you know that somebody knows what they say they know? And how do you trust that somebody has the expertise to actually be uh, a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, be like a, a valuable source on something, you know? How do you trust that? Um, how do you know? How do you know? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good question. Um, you know, you had probably had history teachers in high school, some of which actually knew what they were talking about, and some of them who were the you know football coach, but also taught history. But yeah, I guess more were there for the football coach part. I guess it's it's kind of a, if you're asking me how I make that kind of. A, uh, a call about something like that. Uh, I, a lot of it has to do with, um, with, I guess just the general vibe and confidence of the person, you know, uh, which unfortunately can, can be, can still be wrong and misleading. You know, you can, you can meet the most confident dude in the world and he's still, you know, wrong, (laughs) you know, he might not know his stuff. Um, what, what, uh, what I'll try and do is, is, is as quickly as possible, make an assessment of, of what this person knows compared to what I know, you know, it's sort of, sort of like, uh, yeah, I guess you could make it like, uh, you know, like a fl- uh, fight or flight friend or foe sort of analysis where you're like, okay, is this person bigger than me? Are they faster than me? Are they more dangerous than me? You know, like you're sure. basically doing a threat assessment, um, where you're trying to figure out what this person has compared to what you have. And, you know, I, I guess there's any number of ways um, of doing that. Uh, in in this context, you can ask some. I mean, I, and and this I've actually I've noticed how some people are are way better at, at this part than others. I think I have gotten pretty good at it over the years, and I've gotten pretty good at determining where someone is at. You know, compared to me, pretty quickly. Um, and, and a lot of it is just this weird, you know, intuition, vibey type stuff where. You just listen to the way the person answers your question, and you get a you get an impression. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's like like you say, like if you're if you ask somebody, I, mean, I guess we can try to set up a, a an example. Um, like uh, let's say you're going to um, you, you go to a photo store and you ask the ca- the guy behind the counter, "Hey, I'm looking. Uh, I'd like to buy a flash, right?" 
And then what I would do is I would start out simple like that. If I'm trying, if, if my goal is to try to assess the, the overall knowledge and experience You'd actually of, of this game person. the situation a little bit? Yeah. And I would, I would keep it simple and I would see what questions that person would ask me first to sort of see where they, where they, where they were. And, you know, so if, you know, what kind of flash do you want? You know, are you looking for, uh, you know, this or that, you know, and, and then depending on the questions that they ask me, uh, I would get a better feel for whether or not that person knows more than I do or is more experienced than I am. And if they don't, do you walk away? Uh, I might, uh, depending on the situation. If I'm just, you know, if I'm trying to get some advice on something, then yeah, I'll probably yeah. walk away. But if I just need to buy something and I know what I want, then I'll say, okay, well, just get me one of these. Then I'll give them the yeah. exact part number and, you know, go get it off the shelf for me. It, it's funny. Uh, I, I was at Adorama a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And there are some people at Adorama who know what they're talking about. Of course. Uh, but then there are some that are just complete jackasses. Yep. And, and so you could say the same thing about just about any store. Well, yeah, I mean, B&H is the same way. Yeah. Apple is the same way. The, well, the nice thing about, though, the nice thing about, say, Adorama or B&H, you could walk. Oh, yeah, no, thanks. And go get in line again and get a different person. <laughs> it's true. If, if you waited in line to get a genius bar appointment for three hours. Uh huh. And you get somebody who doesn't know as much as you know. Uh-huh. You know, like our whole thing the other week where we were saying, you know, uh, how, how, how many people know, knew as much as you knew or were advanced people? You know, that kind of thing, right? Sure. You know, that, and it's got to be, it's so frustrating to go up and be like, well, have you tried plugging it? I'm like, I've, I tried restarting. I tried reinstalling. Yeah. I tried swapping the hard drive. Those are different then, things, though. We're talking about two different things. No, I guess my point is, is that where the person you're going to as an expert is actually useless to you because they know less than you do. Yeah, but but and there's very little you can do about it. Or or at Adorama, I went up one day and I said, you know, Fuji makes a a a a, a four by five camera, large format four by five back for their instant film. It's like the, the special Fuji back. Uh-huh. And the guy's just like, well, uh, uh, do, you, do you know the model number? And I'm like, I don't know exactly the model number, but it's large format, 4x5, Fuji makes it, and it's a film back. Yeah. Instant film back. Like, this shouldn't be that hard for you to look up in your computer. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I gave him, like, four minutes, and he just couldn't do it. Right. He's like, oh, I guess we don't have it, which I'm sure they did. That's he was the just, wrong answer. Yeah. The, yeah. the right answer in any of those in, in, in any of those sorts of situations is I don't know. Let's find, Let me out. find out. Exactly. Right. And so I left frustrated because people like that really frustrate me because yeah. you're just you're wasting my time. Yeah. And the difference between that situation and the, the genius bar situation is that in the Adorama situation, you are walking in empty handed. You're a consumer looking to, to buy something. And nine times out of ten, people who walk up to the Genius Bar are carrying their dead computer that has a problem, and they are sort of they need help. You know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's a different but do dynamic. You think, hold on a second. Do you think that the company should be nicer to you when you're buying than when you're supporting? No, there's no nicer. You should always be nice. Okay, but you, uh, you, it seems to see uh, it seems to feel like you mean that people should be. You should treat people differently in those two situations. No, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I think when you're in a situation, when you're in retail, when you're in customer service, and someone comes to you with a question, if it's a help me question or I want to buy something question, whatever, it doesn't matter. You should probably be as helpful as you possibly can, be as nice and helpful as you possibly can, because nine times out of ten, in my experience, that only makes things better and easier. <clears throat> right. Um, okay. th- you know, there might be a situation where someone is being a complete jerk. And you want to you want to end this experience as quickly as possible. So then you're not going to you know go out of your way to make it last any longer than it needs to. You know you just want to get get to the end of the session. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I found that when you're informative and helpful and you know try to get it taken care of to the best of your ability and you know answering questions and and making suggestions that you think you know as you're as you're talking to the person you're like oh okay well I see that you're doing this. Have you ever thought about this or have you heard of this thing? This this could be really cool or is there a reason why you're doing this this way? Did you know that sure. there's this, you know, th- those sorts of things. And that's the kind of stuff that, uh, in my opinion, uh, makes for a really good, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, salesman or, or, you know, technician or representative, you know, I guess I have a higher standard of performance <laughs> that I want people to act like well, if you're selling me camera gear, you should know more than me about camera gear. Yeah, but that's see, I, I hear what you're saying and, I, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but that's an unrealistic expectation. Okay. Well, here's the thing. 
I go across the street. Well, at the time it was a couple blocks away to photo care, uh-huh. which is more of a pro kind of store. Sure. Photo care is great. Yeah. I walk in, I walk up to the guy. I said, Fuji makes a four by five instant film back. He was walking away from me as I was saying it to go get it right off the shelf. Right. Like it was, he's like, Oh yeah, it's right over here. There are three of them. Right. Boom. Yeah. I'm like, I'll take it. Right. You now, know. but here's the thing, dude. You could have easily gotten a dude. Gone to photo care in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But you could have also easily gotten, gone into Adorama and gotten a dude who had that same exact thing going on. Yes. Who true. would have known exactly what you're talking about. True. And pulled it right up for you. True. But I guess there, the, 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 what I got from photo care, which I tend to think that I'm go, I would get more from photo care than from Adorama. Just in, if luck of the draw. Well, here's you know? how it works. I'll give it to you real simple. Adorama will say has 250 employees. Yep. Photocare has 50. Yep. And so Photocare can can be a, you know, can can afford or whatever by, you know, by those numbers, just mathematically speaking, they have a higher chance to of having a people instead yeah. of B and C people. And they're going to be higher quality people. Now, here's the here's the rub. The it thing more. exactly. The thing that yep. you you paid for at Photocare for 75 bucks yes. is at Adorama for 65 bucks. Right. But, you know, as time goes on, I'm becoming the kind of person who says I would rather spend $10 extra to get what I want right. when I need it from somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about. Yep. Uh, rather than the guy who's really just trying to sell me some Canon Compact that's on sale. Yeah, man. It's called quality. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, value. And, and that that day going from Adorama over to uh, PhotoCare, like, gave PhotoCare, like, three gold stars in my book. <laughs> Awesome. Literally within 20 seconds of it's me all it walking takes, in, man. I was it's holding all it the takes. thing. And I mean, I can't tell you how it's many... It's so satisfying. <laughs> yeah, dude. And that's that's and that's and one of the reasons that people make that switch uh, to Apple. You know? So, I mean, I could... I can, I mean, I, we used to get tons of email from from customers um, praising how, how well taken care of they were by sure. the guys on the Genius Bar. You know, it's like... Because think about it. These people, their prior experience, like you bought a computer from, say, right. Best Buy or Radio Shack or... Yeah. or you know, PC, and they're on PC the phone to some guy in India for yeah, and, and, four hours. Yeah, you know, and that's the, the last time you're ever going to see the guy who sold it to you. Right. You know, he doesn't care. He made his he made his commission or whatever. Oh, no, sure. And he doesn't know the first thing about how to fix it when it yeah. breaks. Yeah. So, you know, imagine someone's, you know, surprised to be able to actually ask someone who knows exactly what they're what they're asking yeah. and, 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 and takes care of them in a non-condescending fashion. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's common oh, sense, oh, man. The, the Apple geniuses have been a little condescending to me at times. <laughs> well, you probably incited that a little bit because you're kind of a Mr. Know-it-all. Well, I actually do know what I'm talking about in those things. <laughs> I know. Like, but there's I, a way to like do it. There's a way to I, do it. Maybe, yeah. And I kind of, I also kind of feel like that it's, whenever it comes to customer service stuff, I feel like if you know a certain level of stuff, there should be some sort of code you could give to jump to the next but level. But that's not how it works, dude. See, you've never, you've never worked in, on the other end of the phone, so you don't have the perspective. Let me no, it's, no, I understand why they need to do what they do, but as somebody who knows better, it's frustrating to have they to don't, waste 15 But they don't minutes. know that. And, dude, sometimes we make mistakes, man. True. Sometimes I've, I, I mean, I'll be the first person to do it, and sometimes I forget that very first crucial step. And and I don't check to see if it's plugged in, yeah. you know. And guess what? That's what it was. Okay. Well, I will tell you one. I'll 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 finish this by telling a good story about Apple. Okay. The Genius Bar had to replace the main board in my MacBook Pro a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. The main logic board, as it's called. Yes. Yes. The motherboard, as it would be called in any other computer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I was leaving for London in two days. Uh oh. And they had it fixed and overnighted back to me for free. Oh, look at that. So you, you actually, so you brought it to the store and then they wound up sending it out. They had to send it out. Gotcha. But they sent it out. It got fixed and shipped back to me in a day and a half. That's right, man. That's right. That's yeah. how they roll. Now, so I, I will give them that. There you go. So expertise, that guy was all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but other times I've walked in and been like, oh my God. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue with you on that. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and in my opinion, uh, coming, speaking as a former Mac genius, um, I mean, and this is, this is, there's no science. To, I mean, this is just plain old math here yeah. now that there's, cause, because there's so many more stores around yeah. the overall quality of the Mac genius, you know, probably going down you know proper or whatever you want to call it has what kind of training do they do well i can't i can't tell you what they do now okay but in the old days um and i i 
was a genius at the end of the old days. You know, right. I kind of closed out the old days. Um, but when I was there and for the five or six years frontier. before I was there, <laughs> uh, if you wanted to be a Mac genius, um, there was a pretty rigorous application process. Like they, they had a really good track record, I think, of, of filtering out people who had personality conflict issues um, who would be the kind of people that you would not want to deal with Bill. You know, they had a right. pretty good track record of, of filtering those types of folks out. Um, and they found people who had a, a good personal interpersonal demeanor and the ability to diffuse situations and not heighten them, you know, those sorts of things, uh, mixed in with a, a genuine understanding and, and appreciation, or if you want to go so far as to love, um, of the, of the overall technology, you know, cause you had to, you had to, you had to be a bit of a, a you fan. had to care. Yeah. You had to care. Long story short. I mean, it's called Apple care for, for, for God's sake. So um, that was the hardest part, I think. Once they, you know, finding the people who they could teach the stuff that they needed to know. I mean, I always used to tell tell people, you know, I can I can teach anybody how to fix anything, but I can't teach you how not to be a jerk. You know, yeah. so so you have to find the people who aren't jerks first, and then once you found the people who aren't jerks and who are conversely actually quite good at handling interpersonal situations. Then comes the tricky part of figuring out how technically apt they might be. And fortunately, most of the time, they were pretty technically apt. So what would happen is you would get um, you'd get accepted. You know, you get you get the the job, offered a job, and then they would send you uh, for two weeks to a little genius boot camp training session. Where does that happen? Uh, they would happen originally. They happened in Cupertino, you know, at, at Apple headquarters. But as the program got bigger. It expanded to um, Apple's other main tech support center in Austin, Texas, and there was an additional one in Europe, uh, in Cork, Ireland. So they uh, fly you over there. In in fact, the 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 Fifth Ave store, since it had the largest Genius team at the time of ninety some odd geniuses, the bulk of those guys, about fifty of them, all went through a massive training session together in Cork. Uh, I was hired just after that because uh, I was hired really close to the store opening, so I missed that. In fact, I was one of the only Mac geniuses on the team that started without having gone through training because the because of the the way the schedule worked. Like the store opened on a Tuesday, I think, and then I had to my my flight wasn't until Sunday. So I you know the first four days of of my you know my days as a Mac genius, I wasn't actually officially certified or nothing. I, you know I wasn't you know officially trained, and then you know then I. I spent the next two weeks uh, in Cupertino with a couple, you know, with another dozen or so uh, new guys. And, uh, and you know, and then at the training, they basically, they, they, they put you through the basic hardware uh, certification exams yeah. where they basically, you know, they have a, a bunch of old broken ass computers that they make you take apart and put back together, you know, make sure that you understand how to follow Apple's, you know, established sure. uh, protocols as far as, you know, the manuals are concerned. And then, you know, and, then, and there's also... Um, some some just basic tactical training where they show you how to handle certain situations with certain people, um, and then there's also a pretty decent amount of um, training on their, you know, the tools that you use as far as the web, you know, the computers and the workflow of like how a repair works and you know yeah. how to how to enter notes and all that other fun stuff. And then I think you finish off by spending a day at the San Francisco store, you know, shadowing an actual Mac Genius just to sort of get a taste of what it's really like. And it's uh, gotta, yeah, got to be a sucky job. Well, not for not for the people who like it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I love fixing computers. Just the idea of dealing with people who won't understand what I'm saying a lot of the time. Yeah, but for some people, that's. I mean, you could say that teaching must be a, a sucky job. You know, trying to explain something to someone it's that true. doesn't understand it. I mean, some people it's don't true. like doing that, and other people that's their whole life. You know. Yeah, it's, you got a point. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, good stuff. Mm. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, next week we'll come up with something else. We will, as always. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming out. Uh, we are Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan. You can find us at circuitous.tv. Yep. Circuitousconversations at gmail.com. Right. Or circconv uh, on Twitter. Uh, although, I, I, I apologize. I haven't been tweeting that much on that account. Yeah, we got to get you... We will have to tweet more there. Yeah. And uh, and we are at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman on Twitter as well. That's right. And then suddenly, I have like all these weird followers on the Google Plus. 
Oh yeah, you mentioned that. Here's the crazy thing. I get, I go from like 20 followers in Google Plus to 1,200 followers in Google Plus in a couple days. Uh huh. And the next day, uh-huh. they they open up Google Plus to Google Apps users. Okay. Which is what I wanted in the first place. Because oh, I, I don't see. want to have to log in with Bill Wadman at Gmail. I want to use Bill at BillWadman.com. Right, 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 right. I have both. So my account is under Bill Wadman at Gmail. Oh, that's a drag. And they just opened it up for Bill at Bill Wadman. So it's kind of frustrating. There's no way yet to switch right. over. I mean, I could start a new one, but then I kind of like lose all my followers. In yeah, well, that sucks. Yeah, that's annoying. But what are you going to do? Uh, Till next time, uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.